Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. Join us on a deep dive into the heart of what makes writing songs and making music so magical. Let's find out what makes songwriters tick, and along the way, remember why we love music. Welcome to Pitch List. Hey everyone, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. Before we get started, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And for more exclusive content and performances, don't forget to follow us on social media at Pitch List Podcast, or visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Hey everyone, I'm Dana, the producer of Pitchlist, and I cannot wait to introduce today's guest, Grimy-nominated singer-songwriter Vanessa Carlton. Vanessa's creative journey has brought her all over the map, from her roots as a ballet dancer to starring on Broadway to signing her first publishing deal at 18 years old before her explosive debut single, A Thousand Miles, soared to the top of the Billboard charts. Since then, she's come into her own as an artist, gradually moving away from mainstream pop and into more exploratory indie music, pairing poetic lyricism with gorgeous musical soundscapes. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, so without any further ado, here's Vanessa Carlton. Good morning! Chris Lindsay here with Pitch List, a fantastic guest today, someone who I really am a fan of, and uh, I'm a fan because her new record is so good. Everybody welcome. This is Vanessa Carlton. How Thank are you, you Vanessa? So much, Chris, how sweet are you? What a nice I welcome. know. I hope you can see that I mean it. I've been listening to it. I love uh I love it. The second song is it Companion Star? Is that what yep. it's called? Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I love it. Well it's so funny you say that because um it's so I it's I released it in March 2020, like the maybe the worst month you could possibly release a record aside from the last pandemic. Um, so for me, when you say I have a new record, every time I talk about the record, I'm like, oh, right. Oh, my gosh. It did come out. I did, you know, because I wasn't able to tour. It came out two years ago now. And I um, I so appreciate it because I think part of it, I sort of forget that part of releasing records is sort of like this other it's like a call and answer kind of thing. It's like you get the answer when you go out on the road with it, or you right. connect people through the songs and you perform them. And it's like, I never had that opportunity. So I'll take any little bit I, I can get. Well, and I, I guess I should, I should, I should clarify maybe new to me, but whenever you did that record, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Okay. Thank you. That's all I'm saying. Well, since we're already talking about it, let's start yep. with that. Um, and then we'll circle back to some of your history after that. But so you wrote, you live in Nashville, and it, from what I've read, you wrote the the uh, record in Nashville. Yep. Is that correct? With uh, Now, with is it Tristan? Is that how you say her name? Yep. Did you write the entire record with Tristan or some of it? or? So it was sort of like a concept record where I had been a huge fan of hers, a huge fan of Dave Fridman. And like, it was just for me, I just was sort of felt like I was curating this idea and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it work, but, or make it actually happen. But I wanted to write a record with Tristan, a, a lot of it based on this book called the art of loving. And, um, 
work, uh, have it sort of produced and arranged by and with Dave Fridman, um, known for his very sort of epic, enormous sounding sound, you know, soundscapes. And I just thought of if I could piece all these people together, um, Patrick Callahan on drums, Adam Landry on guitar, like something really interesting would happen. I mean, sort of an al- an alchemy would happen. So yeah, I wrote it in 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 Nashville. However, since then I have now been pandemic displaced. Um, a lot of people have moved during this pandemic and I now live in Rhode Island. So you sort of, this is interesting to me. So you had a vision for how you put this whole project together, which is great, right? It was like a concept, like an idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I don't know. I don't know that artists often do that, uh, but it's really smart. It's really smart because you're sort of mixing the ingredients of you and Tristan as how you would combine. Right. And then you love uh, Dave Fridman. I thought it was Friedman, but I'm glad you said it first. And uh, Fridman, yep. who I was going through his his resume, unbelievable this morning. Yep. I mean, everyone listening, Google Dave Fridman and you want to see an incredible, interesting resume. It's his. Yep. And the other thing is, too, just to add to it, I love there's something about the way I write on the piano where I do really, really well arranging with bass playing producers. Wow. I don't know. It's like because to find the bass part of the song is like that's like the heart, like the, it just sort of unlocks the arrangement problem a lot of times. And my past two producers I've worked with are bass player. Like we just we always sort of solve the mysteries together in a really beautiful way, I think partially because they play bass. Steve Osborne, Dave Fredman. Wow, that's great. Now, your main instrument is piano, right? Keyboards? Okay. When you're working out a range, and and from from hearing you talk, when when you're making a record, are you very involved with the production side and working out arrangements and all that stuff, or how does that go for you? Yes. I mean, so, for instance, when I discovered Steve Osborne stuff, a lot of it, I discovered his aesthetic through listening to Dove's B-52s. And um, a lot of times, you know, I just feel like you're lining up with another artist. You want to be in a room with another artist because you want to see what they're going to do with your thing. Like want them to work their art. And so there's always an element of that. Um, Like that's the alchemy part. That's like, what's going to happen with this recipe? Um, And then there's, um, there's other ideas that I'll have that I'll bring in and, or, you know, uh, you know, have a set concept in mind, but things, as you know, as a songwriter, like you have to remain fluid. You have a concept and, or you have an idea and you have no idea what the journey is going to be and where you're going to actually end up. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And you have to stay, you have to stay open to that. That's you can't right. Go, you can't go in. It's a mistake. Uh, just sidebar, like being here as a songwriter, uh, watching new songwriters come into the demo process and they have this thing in their mind about how it's going to be and they start to freak out when it's not going that way. Yep. And it's, you really, it, it's a, you really have to be taught, calm down. You know, you've hired these people because they're great players. Listen yep. to them, you know, go with now. Of course they can run the wrong way and that can happen and you've got to stop that. But at the same time, uh, being as loose as possible and letting it happen is, is always the best way for sure. And I used to be afraid like that. I mean, I think the trick is 
And this is always from people that have been through that process themselves and have much more experience, I think, under their belt. Just let someone work out their idea in the room with you. Like, even if you're like, nope, that is not it. I don't like that. Like, what? Just, you know what? You'd want the same, you'd want the same space. And once someone allows you to just get it out, then it's like, okay, we, we have that now we have that information out now where do we go from there you know what i mean like oh, i know exactly it took what me mean. a long time to figure that out like i'm like Finesse. it's a good one and it's also yeah. what i always say is like you know look maybe you hired the wrong person you know if you don't want to you know That's what i mean it. it's like either <laughs> let them do what they came to do or don't hire them i mean what don't don't hire a person for a job and then don't let them do what they do it's kind of crazy and sometimes people in the arts, like songwriters, whether you're, I don't know, maybe just it, just when you're making a record, you're trying to figure out a song. You don't know what you what it is yet. You don't know. Yeah, what you yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. And that can happen a lot with a young artist. Like I know I've been in a room with people that have way more clearer ideas about what I should be than I had for myself. And then you get bulldozed, and then you're like, oh. So then you have to recover from that and get back to a space where you can trust people in a, in a room again to let them do their thing, you know? Yeah. Here's a question for you. Just that you said that when you, your first explosive record was a thousand miles, right? Just. Right. That was my first song I released. Yep. Blew up just a giant song. Okay. When you were making that, were you in that position where other people were kind of tell you how to be, uh, you know, you were young when this happened, right? Yep. I was, when I signed my, my publishing deal, I think I was, I want to say 18. Right. And then um, I signed a record deal like a year or so later than that. And yeah, I think it was in the studio, like a, a complete ding dong, like in the studio, I didn't know anything 20, you know? Yeah. Right. How, I mean, how was it? Did you feel, did you feel that then that you felt unsure that you knew what you're doing? Did you rely on voices around you or what do you feel still headstrong about what you were doing or how, how was that? There's a couple, there was a couple things happening at the same time. One was, you know, unfortunately I didn't have this experience around technology that I think it's, it's such a plus when a songwriter really can know what even just the basics around recording equipment because it's like one of the things that's so brilliant about Dave Fridman, by the way, you know, for example, is he's just like an he's an artist of technology. Like he will, he is a he is a traditional musician, yes, and he is also manipulates technology into making incredible art. Um, so I just knew I didn't use the four track. Like I don't know anything about stuff. I didn't know at that time about how to explain how I want my vocal to sound. How do I translate that into a language that I've never spoken before? Like studio language, I did not understand yet. So, and that was something I believe that, you know, you, you it's like you're either lucky or not. If you're in a space with people making your first record, if they're going to try and protect you and try and teach you the language or are they going to take advantage of the fact that you don't know what <laughs> is going on in the studio and they're going to sort of bulldoze. So I think that um, I was in a position in my, during my first record when I already made another album that was canned and um, with another producer and um, he was, cause he was the only producer I knew 
And um, they were going to drop me from the label. And then, so I was in a position now, so the politics matter, you know? So then I was in, now put in the studio with Ron Fair, who sort of saved me from the graveyard. Um, but, you know, it was a condition. I'm going to produce it. I know I have a vision for her. I'm going to do this. Jimmy, let me do this record. I will prove to you that she is something. So that was like sort of the environment of me in the studio. It was a very precarious position for me personally. Do you know what I mean? I do. So he he believed in you. He wanted to work with you, but he also said, I'm, I'm going to take the reins of this thing. You're going to have to kind of trust me a little bit. Is that is that what was going on? Um, Jimmy was going to drop me right. and Ron Fair convinced him not to to but let Ron me. right but Ron was saying to you also kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna lead on this let me do what I not do what I say but let me tell you how to do this yeah yeah that's the political you know I did an uh, interview recently with Billboard talking about how rooms have changed I mean the music industry is a lot of growing to do but like I was very rarely in a room that wasn't filled only with men and me. So um, I would say that during this time in the early aughts, um, which is also sort of the end of the music industry in terms of how it was selling records, like it was the end of selling records. Like there was just a lot going on Um, and um, a lot that I was trying to navigate outside of music. That had to be a wild ride for you to go from <laughs> I'm about to get dropped by Jimmy Ivey into I've got the this explosive record that's got three Grammy nominations. I mean, that's like zero to 150 in, in a millisecond. How, talk, talk to us about that. That was it was crazy. I mean, it's it's actually interesting that you phrase it like that because it is a bit of a whiplash. Yeah, whiplash. it's definitely yeah. a whiplash, you know? So I think that, um, but I think, yeah, I could see very clearly how fraught the industry is and how lucky and what kismet is. And like, I don't know why that worked, why the timing of it all coming together, you know? Like I said, I, I said in an interview recently, you know, I know so many people who have so many songwriters who have brilliant songs that people will know will not hear for whatever reason. So I just really look at it as a, a very, very lucky moment. And fortunately I've been able to sort of use that to bolster me into the type of career. I really feel, I really have always dreamed of having um, a lot of this independence and creative control and getting to dream up these crazy ideas. And I don't have to answer to anybody and no one's threatening me with like a, well, you that's, you're not going to get the budget if you want to do it like that, you know, which I right. time. so right. things are good. <laughs> yeah. And, but let's backtrack a little bit, just one man's perspective. The reason that song was so big is it was that great. It was, it's a great song. Thank you. You can't, you can't in my opinion, just one man's opinion, you can't have a song go that big without it being, you know, touching a lot of people. And so there, and as you know, I mean, I agree with you. I have, I have heard songs, their songs laying around that when you hear them, you're like, Oh my God. I mean, how is this ever, but they're not going to be a song like your song. What, when it's got every box checked, it's a little bit of a tempo. It's uplifting. It's got a cool, a classical piano thing. You know what I mean? You're just checking all the boxes. It's pop. It's hit. It's at the same time. It's got more substance. You know what I mean? Just it's just a great song. Um, well, thank you. I, but I was just gonna say though, I was gonna be dropped, and that song was on the record. 
So like, <laughs> it's also about, you know, like the timing, and who's coming in to help you and how it's arranged. We're going to rearrange it this way. Like the song had been done a yeah. few different ways. You know, it is, it's a strange thing when it's but people missed it people were just missing it i think that the public still would have known if they had been exposed to it right. i mean come on uh who ryan tedder apologize had been uh cut like two years before they didn't even put the columbia didn't put the record out hmm. and ryan goes to work for timberland who loved it and did a remix and all, all hell breaks loose yeah there's a there's a millions. I'm not knocking the record people, but they miss stuff all the time. But you can't like this is the thing. Who is attracted? Like this is why it matters. The people in positions of, um, I guess you call positions of power, positions of artistic um, control. Um, the a the like the the art. I don't know. Like you read books on old school A and R guys. They're always mostly almost all guys. Um, I don't know that sort of craft, that sort of skill of choosing songs. Um, like think about Ahmet Erdogan, like the great godfathers of you, like, you know, he's one of the godfathers of the music industry and how he really did have great, like he would just find the songs. Like he knew, right. he knew immediately, he was very in touch with his own emotions and he could connect. You know, I don't, I think that the industry gets really, had been really filled up with a lot of people on salary that didn't really, I don't know what they were chasing. I don't know what they were listening for. And those yeah. are the gatekeepers that are stand between, a, a, you know, a listener, which you're saying, I'm telling you, anyone listening to that song would have loved it. But there's like a million gatekeepers between the song and the public if, in those position in those situations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and here's the great news. Uh, with the business moving toward the streaming model, it's more democratic. People can find great music. People don't have to listen and it turns out that the public really likes great music it's, you know, the it's record, really cool you know what i mean yeah. it's so great because we used to fight with the executives here in country music we'd fight with them no they don't want that i'm like yeah they do they do they don't they don't like this manufactured stuff you know yeah. and uh so i think in the end or we're not at the end but i think it's really worked out well that you know some young kid can get on uh spotify and his record doesn't look any different from Kanye West or you. You know what I mean? It, they just put their music up and, and people love to find it. I mean, people love to find it. And uh, so I think we're in, I think music's in way better place because of it. I really, Look at your record. Look at Love is an Art. Any big budget record where they're, you know, going to spend a million bucks on recording and five million on videos and the whole deal. This, this wouldn't have been approved, greenlit, would it? In the early 2000s, I mean, yeah. I doubt it. I was no. really a packet. I think I was looked at at like a light pop. Like, not, you know, if you think about that time, yeah. Yeah. again, it's like all these sort of guys making these decisions where it's like, well, we have the Britney and Christina's. Now we need a, the, what's, what's the answer to that? What's the opposite of that? Or what's the, you know, contrast to that? Let's do... The anti-Britney, but it's like it was like weird the way that they would sort of categorize. I just I felt like I was a um, not really ever seen, but I had to fit into a mold that was created, and then the press would perpetuate that. And 
um, yeah, I think that happens less now because of streaming. And um, again, going back to the gatekeepers, like country music, I like, there's a lot of work to be done there. And I think that, you know, I don't know how it works, but there's like, is it true that there's really DJ, like old school, like these, there's these radio programming guys that have been in control for so long and they still, they're like ancient. There's like five like, of them. Yeah. And, and they're ancient, not, it's like, it's not about age. It's just the way that they think. And they think country music should only be this way or that way. And it's like, it's just these dudes making, you know, it's just their own opinion. And they're, yeah. they get too much control over really how, which direction things should go and how things should develop and pro- progress, you know, and Right. And you can't, you can't, a young country artist cannot physically can't have a hit if one of them won't play it. It's physically impossible for them to get top 10. It's like, guys, we need to change it up. And it's like, it's, I think part of it too is maybe they're not challenged enough. I don't even know their names, but like not challenged enough, or there's not enough consequence or pressure on them. Um, I love people like Margot Price and Casey Musgraves. Um, uh, and you know, they're really call out the establishment. And I think that that's really, that's really wonderful. And that's, that's how things change, you know, but going back to like having the independence to just take, I sort of feel like I took myself out of the game in a way that was necessary for my survival and my artistic growth. You know what I mean? So, but I, yeah. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's such a healthy response to a toxic business because look as an artist you're you're like shutting the door nope no and then and then you go make this beautiful record and people people find it don't you think um i all i can tell you is that it feels so incredible to be able to collaborate with and like work with artists like my dream I mean, there's nothing that brings me more joy than sitting in a room with Tristan writing, sitting in a room with Dave Fridman working. I mean, these are people like not in a million years did I think I'd be able to like, I, maybe it's just leftover trauma from being baby Vanessa Carlton in 2001. But like I was told there was all these kind of at the time I was told these are too, these ideas are too weird. You're never going to be able to work with someone like that. You have nothing to do with that genre, like this and that. It's like, no, actually you can create the road that you want to be on. Like you just have to write the road. You know what I mean? Maybe that's. You know what? You just gave me the best question that I didn't have. You're right. Dave Fridman, uh, Tristan, especially Dave. Okay. Who I don't know. I'm just going to call him Dave. Cause I wish I knew him. Um, you and Dave are from different worlds and, you know, based on your earlier work, wildly different worlds. So how did, how did you put all that together? How did you do well, it? I have a wonderful manager, um, which I think is key. And he believes in me and my, all my crazy ideas. He, for instance, he also, th- for, for whatever reason, thought I could do a Broadway show. And I never thought in a million years I could do that, but he believed in me and I did it. But he is a very um, down-to-earth type manager where there we literally found Dave Fridman's website and found the email where he accepts demos and nothing's flashy, nothing special, no managers talking, nothing. Literally submitted <laughs> demos, my GarageBand demos through his website. And um, 
I, it's really, he knows, Rashawn, my manager, he knows me very well. And, you know, it's extremely important to me for people to want to work and or be, you know, interested in working with me based on what I'm doing now. Um, I, when I, before I released the album Liberman, uh, when I was looking for uh, some sort of distribution or label to find a home that would work for me, I, we sent it out without my name on the record. Um, so it was unnamed, just an anonymous artist. Um, so that's my, that's sort of our approach. And I think that is what led to, you know, Dave and I being on the same page in many ways, you know? Well, okay. Wait, I'm so curious now. So when you, I, I got confused a little bit when you submitted it to Dave's submission website, just cold to calling, right. Which is, we're coming back to that in a minute. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> did you go as anonymous or did you put your name on it? I put my name on it. Okay. Even more brilliant. So then what happened? Did he contact you back or yeah. how did it go after that? What happened? Yeah. I can't remember who reached out to Dave or um, who reached out to Rashawn. Um, but basically it was as organic and non-flashy as you could possibly be. Right. You know? So what did he say when they reached out? What did he say? He was interested in them. He liked them and okay. he wanted me to send more. And then we talked and really at the time I had just agreed to do, to do the, the, uh, the Broadway play, which I was, it was going to take literally a year up. I mean, it was going to take preparing for that and then doing the run which was like 10 weeks I mean it was going and it it worked out perfectly he's like I would like to do this with you however I'm not available for another year and I was like that's perfect and so we were like we're on the same page I think this is such a great story for you to tell for you to submit that just with no fanfare no manager was exactly the right thing to do because you went right back to the music. And I think that probably right. communicated something to him. That's right. Something brilliant to him, which is, I don't, it's not about who I am. It's not about what I've done. It's about okay. this. I think, I think you might like this and I think we could work on this and make something special. And he got that message where he probably wouldn't have got it any other way. Right. You know what I mean? And I think, I think for everyone listening and myself included, it just reminds you to, just there's a million ways for to go about things but if you have a vision find a way you know find a way that's that's what you've done and you've done it multiple times and i think it's i think it's just something to pay attention to don't go away pitch list will be right back after the break want to hear your favorite songwriter or artist on an episode of pitch list email us at pitchlistpodcast at gmail.com and let us know who we should interview next. Hey, let's move on to the broad because that's on my notes, your Broadway run. So had you been trained in Broadway in school or any of that, you know, like musical theater or was that like a brand new thing for you? Well, so I was a ballet dancer. So my, the majority of my training, honestly, as an artist was in ballet uh, really zero acting experience, zero. I think I said one line in like a weird, uh, in an elementary school play, you know, that was the most I had with on the acting side, but, um, yeah. So, so I was asked to play Carol King and I don't 
actually know how I did that. Um, I got an amazing acting coach. Um, I had a really distinct point of view, um, I guess, partially because I actually did have a share of some experiences with Carol, you know, coming up as a pianist and things like that. But um, beyond that, like, honestly, I just, was scared out of my goddamn mind and prepared beyond, beyond, beyond. I was like, I can't just be some clickbait cast thing for this. Like I need to really do this justice and like bring something interesting to this, or I, I cannot do this. You know, like that was just like what I set for myself. And yeah, I'm sorry. I'm reliving it and all terrified all over again. It was a, yeah. one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was an amazing play. And actually what made me really want to do it is after I read the script. I cried when I read the script. I'd seen the show before I read the script. When I read the script, I was like, this is fantastic. Like, I get this. I get what this is, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so did you perform it for her at some point? I did not. Because um, the show at this point had been running for about four years. Oh, uh, I wish definitely. I were better educated. I'm sorry. I should have. No, known. no worries. She was definitely part of the incept the creation of the right. characters and she gave a ton of input um i got to perform with her in a show um at one point and chat with her and coincidentally we had actually written a song together we had a writing session like years and years earlier tell us about that how was it what was it like to write with carol king she is just as curious and passionate about like she, I, what struck me because at the time I was like definitely a shell shocked young twenty three year old like I was like not all there in my body for sure but um, what struck me about Carol and what what always st stuck with me is like how curious she was um, how down to earth she was how passionate she was about the ideas we were talking, you know, I played her some piano ideas and she played this and that. And it was like, no, this is just, she is a consummate craftsman, you know, like there, and there's, there is zero ego. Wow. That's great. Yeah. You love to hear that too. Daniel Tashin's a guy we know here in Nashville. You, you might've met Daniel before. He's been working with Burt Baccarat and he says a lot of the same things. Just like completely engaged, completely no checking the ego at the door. Yep. Uh, just showing up for work. You know what I mean? It's so inspiring when you hear those stories. And and when you show, and I, I and Dan, I think Daniel did a wonderful children's record too. He's, yes. I know of him. Um, excellent. And a, a really talented guy. And, but I think, and I think that he would probably agree. I think the most important thing is like to still remain in touch with your, you need to, literally just be so in some ways so thin-skinned like meaning in the good way where you're like things literally just come through you like you have to just be still in touch with your serious empathy your real emotions <laughs> like right putting on the I mean there's definitely times where you got nothing you can't access that's fine but I think that the writers that I have known, like no matter what level of success, fame, whatever, the writers that are great and remain great really has nothing to do with that. It's like, they're just still in touch with their real emotions, you know? Yeah. Like, very empathetic. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think that, um, 
because people can feel that. I mean, if you can't get that into a song, that's what people are feeling. I mean, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know any song that I've been involved with that worked and was a hit or people liked, somehow there was an emotional transfer into the song. That's and right. I think, I think it's because of what you're saying. It's like you still, no matter how many songs you've written or whatever you've written, you you have to be able to do that. You have to do. You have to be able to do that dump that transfer so that when you hear the track you 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 feel that feeling and it's like vulnerability it's like when people get so listen it's like i learned this in act in when i was acting on stage so when land, quote unquote landing your line let's say the analogous is like let's say writing the song like writing the real song that everybody loves but it's like the equivalent to that in acting let's say landing the line it's because you really felt it. You cannot like it's and this is this is live theater. So like I'm telling you, when you really feel what you're saying and you have zero care about what how people are going to react to it, zero. You're literally in your moment. That's when people connect with you. And that human beings really want to connect with other people's true emotion, true experience. Um I love that. Is that how is that how great singers do it too? Is it the same process? I think so, or is it right? They're feeling it. It's, it can work sometimes where you can fake it, but I think. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so curious about this. we got to stay on this. I know it's a little off topic for us, but I'm so interested in this. So as an actor, so like you said, you're trying to just remove all sense of judgment or shame and you're going to feel this and they're going to see it happen and you're okay. How does, how do you as an actor, and I think as singer also, how do you have these words and then how do you feel them? How do you make this emotion happen in yourself? What's the technique? Is there a technique or how's it, how do you do it? How do you make yourself feel that line? Say you're going to land a line, right? And that means you're going to actually physically experience this line as if it were your own life. How do you do that? What, how do they do it? How do you do it? Well, I think that the act of performing is like, it's weird. It's like, I think you actually do feel safe. It's like you've created a safe space for yourself in your mind. You, you can, it's people that are really good at being able to be vulnerable on stage. Those are the performance that like literally everyone loves because you want to see other people's vulnerability. So how do you get there? I think that's what you're asking. How do you get yes, to a place? Yes, where you're that's what I'm asking. Work? How do you get to a place where you're, you know, um, that is the job of an artist. And then to maintain that vulnerability, to protect it, to not get hardened, which it, all these things can happen. Everything ebbs and flows, everything changes, but like to keep your eye on the prize, which is like remaining connected to your spirit and who you are and how you're developing your values and then, and then, and remaining vulnerable. So I think your answer is there's a little bit of magic in it. Seems like there's a little bit of magic, just like songwriting. You know, there's yeah. some magic involved. There's some alchemy involved in all this. Yeah. I mean, some people are definitely more cut for the stage than others. Some people are really fantastic at being in the studio and being part of the team that comes. You know, everyone has their their strengths. Yeah, know? I just think there's an interesting parallel uh, between an actor and a singer and singers do the same thing. I never heard that before, but I totally get it of landing a line. Um, and you know, a singer that's emotional and, 
portrays vulnerability and you see it in their, if you feel it and see it from them, you do love them and you forgive them if they're not good singers. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah, like because they it don't, is, you don't really care. Exactly. The technique is all out. It's like, oh my God, I, this person just made me cry or this person just made yeah. me experience, feel something that is so, and that's, that is magic. That is if human beings want to connect to other human beings experience and, or, yeah. and, or it makes them feel something in themselves. They have not experienced right. you know, or they right. want to experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the connection. And of all people, Kenny Rogers, I saw him one time on American Idol. He was a celebrity coach or whatever. This is early on. Okay. They came in, one of his, these kids are singing some stuff and this kid was doing these runs, you know, and he's like, stop, stop, stop. And he goes, look, kid, he goes, you're not trying to impress them. You're trying to make them cry. And I remember thinking, wow, that's right. That's it. That's why technique never fully does it. You know, it, yeah. it's it's what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I will say, um, like learning the art of acting, which is, is acting to me now, is like it's such an incredible art. Is doing getting the techniques down, getting all the handles that you need in there, all the tools that you have. Like you really, I needed a pretty significant tool belt. That really gives you that confidence. And that that helps you create that safe space where that you can like jump off the cliff. You know what I mean? Um, right. It's definitely a right. combination. It's definitely a combination. But you know, it's a balance. It's definitely a balance. Tell me about Eric Fromm just a little bit, because you 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 said that you based a lot of love as an art off of material. Like I know a little. I know the Wikipedia version of Eric Fromm, psychoanalyst yeah. from Germany. Yep. Is he after Freud or before Freud? Or? I have to say off the bat, though, uh, disclaimer, this is a generational gap. Like there's things about sexuality that he's totally off on. There is like he is a day. This is dated in some ways, um, very obviously. And in other ways, it's like brilliant um, in terms of his analysis of how human beings connect with each other and his kind of the stories that he writes around relationships and I was so moved when I first discovered that book, which I think I picked it up in an old bookshop because I'd never read about love or relationships in that manner before. Part of it is probably because I don't know if it was translated from German, but it was like, it was very like prescribed, you know, it was very sort of austere in a way that I just found to be so fascinating and very philosophical. So it led to me writing the song love is an art. And then from there, um, I realized the book was sort of a platform for me to analyze a lot of different relationships and what goes on there, particularly like uh, break to save, which is a B side, but it's about having to like break away from your family's family's values, especially mm -hmm. if you really differ a lot from your parents or in like, you still love your family, but maybe you had, there's a lot of fundamental things that, you don't agree with and you know you have to make some changes and and break away in certain ways to preserve and save who you are you know um you know some of the really intense stuff it was an intense record it is an intense record it came out i realized in a actually the perfect time even though i don't know how many people heard it but you know 
I do. And it seems like a, I can see, even though we're on Zoom and I can feel that you're very emotional about it. So his work um, and the book is The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm really had resonance with you and your life. And uh, in my own life, I got a serious uh, separation from my family based on not even politics, but it was sort of politics, but just a sort of cultural thing and with the pandemic and with certain political elements. And I got really separated from my family. Are, are, are you separated from your family too? Is this part of what's going on with this? No, that was before. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, for instance, the internet is breaking families apart because you can, it's really hard for people to navigate on the internet, what's real information and what's not. And then you have people that are, you know, literally living in another universe, you know, with conspiracy theories and things like that. And then it's like, it's like, you know, how do you deal with like, oh, my parents are QAnon parent. Like, what do, like, you know, where do you go from there? Um, but no, even, even before that, I think really very much about, you know, racism in this country is like really intense. And, and, and there's a lot of religious um, values too, that, um, you know, it's, it's really tragic what it, it parents that, for instance, the don't say gay bill that's happening in Florida is like insane, you know, and it's like, you know, these kids, you're not, you are going to lose your kids. Your kids are going to be who they are, no matter what. And you cannot, um, I know this comes from fear and, but families break up because of their lack of acceptance of who, who we are, who you are as a person, you know? Yeah. There's some crazy shit going on in the world. You know, I I don't know why people just can't love each other. I I don't really know why they got to do hurtful stuff to each other just because they have the right to, you know, it's just like. They're scared and they want to. Yeah, but I think you're right. But sorry to interrupt you, but when you said political theater, it's totally political theater. It's it's bullshit. It it, it, and the kids suffer because of it. And yeah, I think everything needs to be poured into education, um, public education in this country. I had my my experience last year as a substitute teacher. That was my pivot. You know, I was like, you know, all the every entertainer I knew was out of work. So it's like, what am I going to do? I was the substitute teacher at my kid's school, and I was always available. So I worked pretty consistently because wow. I'm like the first one they call I'm like, can you come in? I would talk to That's amazing. How was that? It was amazing. And I think that I, what, what, what really struck me is how much work these teachers put into these kids and how much work it is to be a teacher and these freaking school board, like, Oh my God. I just, it, it made me realize the value even more so and the impact that teachers have on society and communities, maybe, maybe one of the most important jobs in the world, you know, really the how it shapes these kids. So, yeah, I mean, did the, uh, did the kids, were they aware of your records? Oh no, I don't think so. <laughs> no. You know, it's funny a side story. Uh, our kids go, went to the same school at Cheryl Crow's little boy goes and my daughter Lola is in the same grade and Cheryl was often the room mom and very involved right early on before we knew that Cheryl's child was there Lola comes home and tells she's got a new friend whose mother was a background singer for Michael Jackson 
And you're like, really? She's like, yeah, everybody's so excited. She knew Michael Jackson. And I'm thinking about this and I'm like, is her name Cheryl? She goes, no. And I, I said, well, what's the, what's the kid's name? Wyatt, why what? And she goes, Wyatt Crow. And I goes, is it Cheryl Crow? She goes, that's her. I'm like, oh, that's all they knew of her was that she sang with Michael Jackson. They were not aware of any of her records. She also is very down to earth like you. And when you see her at school, she's, she's a nut. She's a mom. You, you would not know, you know, she's awesome. And I think she is great. Yes. Being very aware that that kind of awareness is unnecessary. I don't need, you don't need your kids the kids in the classroom to be like, like, I think it would make me feel really pretty weird if like kids in my class were like, oh my God, your mom does that or your dad does that. You're like, wait, what about me? Like, I'm just, yeah, right. I just want to be like every other kid. And then instantly you're like crushed by your parent. And it's like, I don't want anyone to know what I like, just be the classroom mom. I think she's very smart to do that. Yeah. 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 Kids get weird. And then other parents get what you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I still think it's really cool that you're doing that or did that. I think I've covered everything I want. I do have one last question for you. Do you have time for one more question? I have one more and then, yep. And then I'm one more question. Um, I read that you said this quote or something like this, probably a paraphrase, but it's close. You said, grab a wild animal and see what happens. Are you familiar with that quote? It's, it's the cover of the record is a really elegant, beautiful hand holding the, the tail of a tiger ever so and it's like yes the idea i was like the part of part of the idea of that album cover and the idea of just i think relationships in general it's like and love in general it's like it is so arrogant to think that we are controlling something so huge it's like yeah i think it that really to me is a visual partnership like not just with love, but with yourself, um, it's really about, you have to take the risk, go, you got to hold the tail, you know, you can't really guide what this animal is going to do, but you have to work with this, with this wild animal that is like in us. And I, there's just so many ways you can frame it. Um, but you got to go after it. You got to go after real love. And it's, I'm not even talking about just relationships. I'm just like, you got to love real love with yourself, real love with, the world, like just go after it, just reach your hand out and you just, it's a wild cat and you're just going to ever so lightly hold the tail (laughs) and see what happens. You know, that's how I look at it. I love it. Okay. Vanessa Carlton on pitch list. This has been one of my favorite interviews in a while. Uh, I think you're awesome. I really do. And thank you for your time and for letting us hear about you and your story. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Plus, don't forget to let us know on social media what songwriter, musician, or music business professional you want to hear from next. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.